this is Frederick Heron and I just did a, the podcast episode with Ryan on the World of Speakers and this was the perfect podcast for this message. I'm the author of How to Become a Global Keynote Speaker, Spread Your Message and See the World and that's exactly what we talk about, the benefits and advantages of having a global mindset as a speaker. And I highly encourage you to listen to this episode to expand your mind and expand your world. Welcome to the World of Speakers podcast brought to you by Speaker Hub. In each episode, we interview a professional speaker and reveal their very best tips and tricks. You'll learn to improve your presentation skills, keep your audience engaged, and learn how to grow your business to get more gigs and make more money. Here's your host, Ryan Foland. Ahoy, everyone. We are back for another episode, and today will be nothing short of amazing because we have Frederick Heron, and he is a global conference speaker. I've seen him speak. I was intrigued. He was a lot funnier than you think he might be, and that's even a funny part about it. Frederick, welcome to the show. I'm excited to talk with you about how you play into this world of speakers. Yeah, thank you very much. I'm very happy to be here. Excellent. And and I appreciate you being nice and chirpy this early in the morning. And this is, you know, when we're on the world and we're all over the place, there's this thing called time and the, the sun is rising on different spots. So it's my evening and it's your morning and we will make this a, a cup of coffee that will work for any type of time during the day for our listeners. So Frederick, I love to start off the shows with a little bit of story time. And essentially, if I only had one story from your past that I could share to somebody who has not met you, with the hopes that this story would somewhat be a good representation of who you are, what would a story be from the past that comes top of mind? I think I'm, I'm going to give you a speaker story because I think it, this is a podcast for speakers. So I'm going to give you a speaker story. All right, let's do it. So you remember a few years ago, maybe 10 years ago now, there was a volcano that erupted in Iceland. Okay, I do remember that. Yeah, didn't it start fires and stuff? No, it didn't, but it, it stopped a lot of planes because it was a big, huge oh. ash cloud that went all over Europe. So basically, okay. flight for council for like, for a long time in a lot of places. So I was in, I live in Singapore and I was booked for a speech in Singapore five days later. But when the ash cloud uh, erupted, I was in Stockholm for a speech. And I, when I came out of my speech, I opened, I turned on my phone and I saw that there was an ash cloud and they closed the airport in Reykjavik in Iceland. But then they started reporting news about how they, this ash cloud might stop air traffic. And they started closing airports in Scotland. And I went, oh, this is not good. They might close the one in Stockholm and I need to be in Singapore in, in five days from now. So I rushed to the airport. But when I came to the airport, it was already closed. So then now they started closing airports in London and, and closer to Iceland. So I said, all right, so what to do? So I... I called my brother and said, come here with your car. And then he jumped into a car with me. And for 40 hours, we would drive. I would drive. He would sleep. He would sleep. I would drive 40 hours without stopping, only stopping for gas. Wow. All the way down to Munich. And after 40, oh, it's, it's uh, autobahn, so it's good driving. But after 40 hours, we came to Munich airport. And of course, that right before we came, they, they also closed because the ash cloud just grew <laughs> bigger and bigger and bigger. So after 40 hours of driving, I left my brother there. I jumped on a train and I, I took a train for 40, an additional 40 hours through Austria, Bulgaria, Romania, uh, all the way down to Istanbul, 40 hours straight on one big train. And after 40 hours, I arrive in Istanbul. I go and take a massage in a Turkish bath because I had like a couple of hours before my flight. I jump on the only airport that did not close in Europe, which was the airport in Istanbul. 
I jumped on that plane. I flew to Singapore. I landed in the afternoon. And the next morning I was on stage delivering a speech. I was the only speaker who made it to the conference. Everyone else was stuck somewhere <laughs> in Europe. Wow. Okay. That shows a lot. You are a true road warrior. Yes. It shows that I'm a global speaker. It shows uh, my uh, commitment to making it to the speech. And it shows that I speak on creativity and innovation, meaning uh, just come up with a solution on how to solve the problem instead of just sitting and waiting for someone to do something. Right. Which is pretty on point with your theme in general, right? You can't be an expert about creativity and innovation and have something like a some smoke in the air stop you from getting where you need to go. I like it. Exactly. And you can't be a global speaker if you don't go <laughs> the speech. I thought that was an appropriate story for this. Well, I think that's great. Now, have you always been somebody that no matter what obstacle in front, you get to the destination? Like from as far back as you can remember, where did that begin? I do believe that it comes from the fact that I have an identical twin. I describe identical identical twin as it's one third a brother, one third your best friend, and one third yourself. Hmm. Which means that whenever I had an idea or whenever I wanted to do something, I had someone who I can brainstorm with out loud and that person would really understand what I was talking about. So I would, I would, most normal people, you you face a problem and then you have to either think inside your head or talk to someone who's not you. But if you're a twin and you, and you have a problem, you can approach this problem by brainstorming with someone who's almost exactly like yourself. So it's like brainstorming aloud. And that means that we were always tackling a problem from like, like as a tag team. And I think that developed my creativity a lot. And also you become very competitive as a, you don't have to, but it's a big chance you become very competitive if you're an identical twin, because you always have someone who's exactly as good as you are in something. So you have to do your very best to win. Otherwise you will lose. (laughs) Now, by chance, is he also a global speaker? And uh, is actually that's kind of (laughs) funny because he, he's not a global speaker, but he's a speaker and he also speaks on creativity. So we, we have the same topic, but we have approached it very differently. So I'm a global speaker. He doesn't like to travel at all. So that's only one third yourself. We're not exactly the same. So we both love creativity. We both like to speak, but he lives in a small, tiny village in Sweden and he owns a huge mansion over there. And if someone wants to book him for a speech, the client has to book the conference in his mansion and then he will speak because he doesn't want to <laughs> even want to leave the village. Yeah, but that's also definitely innovation and creativity in bringing people to your door, especially in a mansion in Sweden. That, that's pretty sweet. Now, so your family life, were your parents um, facilitating and supporting this type of growth and this innovation and creativity? Or was it really you and your brother and you were able to sort of click together regardless of the support? Well, so when I look at how, why I became a speaker, it's, it's actually quite clear when you look at it. My, father, my mother was a teacher. And she's the kind of woman who actually literally appeared on, on Jeopardy and knew all the answers. So <laughs> she, she's about knowledge and teaching and, and so on. And my father was a teacher, but he was a music teacher, but he was also a, an actual musician. They had a band and they played on Saturday and Sunday nights and so on. He was a full-time musician and a teacher on, on part-time. And he would, when we were very small, like five, six, seven years old, he would pull me and my brother up on stage and we would sing one or two songs in his band. It's like a country band. And of course, the audience loved the two cute little twins singing together. So again, I got the teaching from my mother and the performance from my father. If you take teaching and performing, you combine it, you have a professional speaker. There you go. And at what point in your professional career did you really, did that come to light? Did you realize that? Is this something that you started a long time ago or was it a later on in life as a result of life? Well, I'm actually one of the ones who started very early. 
I saw the internet when I was in university. I was a bit older when I went to university. I was maybe, so I was, I think I was 25 or 26 or something. I was an exchange student in the US for a semester. So in 1993, at that university I went to, they had a computer connected to the internet and I saw the internet and I said, this is going to be amazing. So I went back to Sweden and I wrote my university thesis on internet and marketing. And then mm. that, I turned that into a book. So in 1994, 95, I was the go-to expert on internet as a 27-year-old because I, I had studied internet for 10 weeks, which meant I was an expert on the internet because I knew, <laughs> I knew 10 weeks more about the internet than anyone else did at the time. And I actually say that to speakers. I say, people, if you want to be a speaker, you have to be the expert. But the expert only means that you know more than the audience. That's all it means. As long as you know more than the audience, you are the expert for that audience. So in my case, I knew 10 weeks more about the internet than anyone else. And that actually turned me into one of the most booked keynote speakers in Sweden before I was at the age of 30, when I was 27, 28, 29. So if you don't know so much yet, if you're not a world expert on something, then you just have to pick audience that, that, that audiences that know less than you. If that means you need to start speaking for students, then start speaking for students. Because you cannot speak to an audience that knows more than you. Then why would they listen to you? I love that. Now, in your process, it sounds like it just started from the very beginning there. Did you have speaking mentors that you worked with? Or were you in a situation where you kind of had to learn from yourself or, or just pull from where you could? How did you perfect your skills knowing that you're already 10 weeks ahead from a content sort of expertise standpoint? Yeah, so I never aspired to be a speaker. I actually started an internet company at so we were a, we had a consulting company, and I would speak to get gigs. I mean, to I would to get work for my consultancy company. But of course, I made sure I got paid as well. So I was asked to speak. I didn't ask to speak. And of course, I loved it. But then, in, when I was um, when I was thirty two, I sold the company at the end of ninety nine, and then I said, okay, so now I can do whatever I want for the rest of my life. What do I really, 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 really like to do? Like, if I can only do the cherry on top of the cake, what would that be? I loved having an internet company. I love having employees. I like the whole growing a business and entrepreneurship and all of that. But even more, I loved speaking. So I said, I'm just going to speak and uh, research, speak, interview people. Well, I guess research, interview people, write and speak. That's the only thing I'm going to do. And so since 2000, that's the only thing I've been doing. I'm a pure keynote speaker. If I don't speak, I don't train, I don't consult. I uh, I don't do workshops or anything. I do keynotes and I do them around the world. And that's what I've been doing for since 2000, full time. And since 95, part time. Awesome. So that's basically the only career I've had. <laughs> and then I like how the function became the form and then you took the form and you've just run with it from here on out. And was it that your favorite topic just became the creativity and innovation? And do you separate those or is, are they sort of together the one concept? Yeah, so I started speaking about the internet, of course. Like my, I literally started my speeches by saying, internet is a network of networks. I had to explain what it was. <laughs> so when I sold the company, I sold the company because I believed that the internet was now figured out. So the whole hype of it, you know, the dot-com happened just a couple of months later, the dot-com crash. So in, in a sense, the whole world felt the same thing just a few months later. But I sold the company because I felt, okay, now we figured out the internet. Now I need to do something else because I never liked, I was never fascinated by the technology. I was fascinated by the fact that the internet was new and I was fascinated by the fact that the internet was global, that you connected humanity. Hmm. So in 2000, I said, okay, I'm not going to speak about the internet anymore because 
everyone knows what it is now. So there's, you know, there's nothing more to talk about, which of course shows that I was very, very wrong because there was before <laughs> Facebook. So we could, internet continued to grow, but, and I still talk about the internet, but I stopped talking. I was, stop being an internet speaker. Instead, I became a creativity speaker. And I talked about how can we make business better by using the internet or by using some other technology. So, but for 20 years, internet was a thing, but now it's deep learning and artificial intelligence. So now new technologies are coming. So I don't care what technology or what change comes. I'm just more interested in, so what opportunities are opening up? How do we get people to take advantage of these opportunities? So, so since 2000, I've been a creativity and innovation speaker. And then for the last 10, or almost 10 years, I also speak on global mindset, how to build a truly global company. And uh, those are the two top, I speak on creativity, change and global mindset. I dig it. So if you were to have a chance to travel back in time to when you were first starting to speak, and maybe you had the foresight to know that it would be the golden ticket for you what would some of the pieces of advice be for you when it comes to the tactics of speaking, the mechanics of speaking, the practice, the preparation, all of the stuff that happens sort of to get you in a spot where when you have the stage, you just crush it. Do you have any specific things that stand out or some creative ways for people to rethink about the way that they're actually communicating on stage? Yeah. So I'm the the number one thing I would have done is I would have become a global speaker from the start. It took me 10 years. So this is the story for me. I was a Swedish speaker. I started in 95 and until 2005. So for 10 years, I was a Swedish speaker and I was one of the most booked speakers. I did 199 speeches in one year. I was was selected speaker of the year, all of that. But, and then in 95, I said, okay, I can do this for the rest of my life. It's so easy. I don't need to do any marketing. People just call me and and it's so easy. But I said, I want a challenge. So in 2005, I left everything I had in Sweden and I moved by myself. I was single at the time. I packed two bags and I moved to China. I moved to Beijing and I decided I was going to become a speaker in Beijing instead because I saw the rise of Asia and, and the rise of creativity in Asia. And I said, I want to be part of this. This is kind of like I saw the internet. I saw how the Asia would start innovating as well. So I literally had to start over. I didn't know a single person in China. I didn't have any contacts. I didn't have any friends. I didn't know anyone. So I, after 10 years of being a keynote speaker, I literally started over from scratch mm. and I had to you know, create new business cards and get a new phone and start networking and all of that. So I literally started over from scratch and I did that for two years. I built a speaking career in, in China without speaking Chinese and being Swedish. But after two years, I said, no, I don't want to be in China anymore. And I moved to Singapore. And when I moved to Singapore, I came with one bag. I didn't know anyone. I was single. I didn't have any friends. I didn't have any contacts. Again, so two times in my life or three times in my life, I have started a speaking career from scratch two times by starting over. But when I came to Singapore, I didn't say I I was going to become a Singaporean speaker. And I didn't say I'm going to be a Swedish speaker living in Singapore. I said, I'm going to be a speaker and I'm going to speak all around the world. So for the last 10 years, I've been a global speaker. So now I've spoken in 67 countries. I spoke in 22 countries last year, 18 countries this year so far. For the last five years or so, I've been speaking in between 25 and 35 countries or 20 to 35 countries every single year and on like four or five continents per year or even six sometimes. And if I would have started over, I wouldn't have waited from 95 to 2008 for 13 years to become uh, just become a speaker. I would have started having a global mindset from the start. Hmm. 
That's interesting. And so it's it literally is a global mindset as a speaker, as you're developing what it is. Is it as simple as thinking about how this message could resonate in other countries? How do you start to take on this, this concept of a global speaker with some of the tactics that you would use or the way that you're presenting yourself? Any tips on how to make that transition now? Yeah, I actually published a book about it. It's called How to Become a Global Keynote Speaker. <laughs> Spread your message, see the world. And it's $3 on Amazon, so I'm not making any money on it. I mean, the ebook is $3. I'm not trying, it's not a book I wrote to make. And if someone doesn't have $3, I will send them the ebook for free. <laughs> uh, what I did was I spoke in 23 countries two years ago, and uh, everyone asked me, So, how do I become a global speaker? So, I, I took every one of those countries, like Turkey, Kenya, no, not Kenya, Nigeria. America, Canada, and so on. How did I get that bo- booking in Turkey? How did I get that booking in, in uh, Nigeria? And then I backtracked and I looked at how I looked in my emails and say, how did I actually end up with this booking? Hmm. And then I wrote a chapter about it. And I said, if, well, this is what I did. If you do the same thing, you'll also get a booking in Nigeria. So 23 chapters on 23 different countries I, bo- I was booked in in one year. Wow. Okay. And it's, it's very simple advice. It just shows that the techniques needed are not complicated. They're very, very easy. The, the only thing that you need is, a, is, like you said, it's the mindset shift. Instead of saying I'm an American speaker or a German speaker, you're just a speaker. And uh, with that mindset totally changes not only your speaking career, it changes your whole life. Interesting. And you're literally teaching people this global mindset now and speaking on that from a, a worldwide perspective for business. Yeah, I do it for companies, of course. They book me because they are... They are multinational companies and they don't want to be multinational companies. They want to be truly global companies. Or in my speeches, I talk about TGCs instead of MNCs. So you don't want to be an MNC. You don't want to be a multinational corporation. You want to be a TGC, which is a truly global company, which doesn't come from anywhere. A company that just focuses on what they do, not where they come from. So I speak on this for big companies. And then I just say a speaker should have the same mindset. There's no added value in being a, a Swedish speaker or an American speaker because that doesn't add any value. It's better to just be a speaker and focus on what you speak on. You can be a creativity speaker, but you shouldn't be an American speaker. When I speak to companies, I say a passport is not a skill. It's not a competence. A passport is not a skill or competence. I like that. When you're crafting your talks for places where English is not the first language, are there ways that you have to change the way that you're speaking or your actual speeches, or do you pretty much carry it across sort of culturally and locationally agnostic and just deliver the core messages that you have? Well, English is not my my first language, so I, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> you're right. So for me, for example, or, or for other people who are looking to speak in countries where the native language is not their native language. But, well, so there's two things here. First of all, English is not my native language. And still, I, I can be a global speaker. So it's, right. you don't have to be a native English speaker to be a global speaker, which is holding a lot of great speakers back. Hmm. But if English is your la- uh, native tongue, well, good for you. That happens to be the, the language of, of a global business. So that's good for you. It's not necessarily an advantage because I speak at a lot of global conferences where I'm the only non-native English speaker on the stage. But that doesn't mean I get lower evaluations than anyone else. On the contrary, a lot of non-English speakers don't understand what the American is saying or what the British is saying, or, or they are intimidated by the language. So, you know, there's this, I speak very simple English. Like I use simple words. I don't have an advanced vocabulary. 
But a lot of people who are not native English speakers, they don't understand. Like Barack Obama's book, The Audacity of Hope, there's a lot of people who don't understand what that title means. And audacity is not a very, not a super complicated word, but people, a lot of people don't know what it means. So if you go up on a stage and speak for people from all over the world, like from a hundred different countries, and you speak about the, that's your title of your speech, a lot of people won't come to that speech because they don't know what the speech is about. Huh. That's a good point. Using uh, more simple language. That doesn't mean you should dumb it down, but you can make, uh, it's like Albert Einstein said, make everything as simple as possible, but not simpler. <laughs> so that also comes to the choice of words. Doesn't mean dumb it down. Make your point, but make your point. It's the same with copywriting, actually, if you think about it. You should use the right word. And many times that word is not the most complicated one. It's, you're not doing an, an academic thesis when you're doing a keynote speech. Interesting. And I know that that is best practices for copywriting. And there's a lot of talk about that where it should be at a fourth or sixth grade reading level. But I think when we get up on stage, we forget and we might use words that are more inclined to be fancy. Yes. And there's no reason for that, especially now that after people have been watching a lot of TED Talks and that's kind of the new what people, <laughs> that's where people watch a lot of keynotes is on TED and key, a lot of keynote talks are just conversations. So people are more used to the fact that keynotes now are conversations and the language using conversations usually not that complicated. Now, when it comes to your approach for crafting your talks, maybe share a little bit of insight with that. Do you have a standard set that you're using all the time or do you make it custom for each audience that you're going to? What does that process look like for you when you're preparing what you're either going to uh, pitch to talk about or when someone wants you to talk, what you're offering to talk? Is it always changing or is it pretty much the same and super polished? I mean, I'm assuming it's always super polished. I'm not trying to throw that out there, but just from a talk preparation, right? You've been doing this for so long. Yeah. So I, I get almost 99% of my business through referrals. Someone hears me. I'm very bad with the business side of it, as in sending newsletters or following up with leads and so on. Basically, I get business because someone hears me speak, they love it, and they book me. And because they then heard me speak before, very often they say, ah, oh, we love that. I heard... I heard your speech in Hong Kong. I'd love you to do the same for my, my team here in Shanghai. So they want me to do a very similar speech to what they've heard. So for me, it's kind of like Rolling Stones. You go to a Rolling Stones concert and you want to hear the hits, right? Right. But Rolling Stones doesn't want to play the same. They don't want to play satis- only the old hits. They're tired of the old hits. Right. But they also, love, they, right. they also love playing the old hits. So they do that, but not only. So of course... I would change some part of the speech so that I feel like I, because I'm also trying out new material, right? But yes, I am one of those, basically I've, I call them key keynote speeches. I have three key keynote speeches and they're more or less based on the books that are written because the books are written are based on the research that I have done. So I have, I have one speech based on my book, the idea book, and another, another speech based on my book, the developing world, which is about creativity in developing countries. I have one book on, I have one speech on uh, global companies based on my book, One World, One Company. And I have a, one speech on change, which is not based on my book, but based on kind of research that I'm doing at the moment. And then I'm, I'm developing one new keynote speech now. So, which is actually, I love the title of your podcast because my book is called The World of Creativity. So, <laughs> so. Wow. All right. And that's, that's the global mindset. It combines the two things that I care about, which is, uh, creativity, innovation, and change, and global mindset. You combine the two, you get the world of creativity. 
Now, how important is this creativity and innovation mindset or innovation global mindset for a speaker in today's climate? Because I think we both understand that there are more speakers than there have ever been in the history of time. And everybody seems to be jumping up saying, I'm a keynote, I'm a keynote. How important is the process for a speaker of creativity and innovation in their speaking career, in their growth? Because it is so highly impacted with so much noise right now. Okay, <laughs> that might be true that there's never been more speakers. It is equally true that there's never been more speaking opportunities in the world. The thing is, though, from an American point of view, they would say there have never been more speakers, but there are not more speaking opportunities. And that might be true in the US. I'm not sure. I don't know. But in the world, there's never been more speaking opportunities. Because, I mean, uh, I'd spoken uh, not a few years back at the first ever. HP Asia Management Conference. And so this is the first time they decide to have an Asia con Management Conference because the, the level of English in these different countries was so low that they couldn't speak to each other. So why have a conference if they can't meet and talk to each other, right? Right. When I came to Asia, I used to speak at conferences and there would be 12 different translators. I mean, there would be 25 translators and they would translate into 12 different languages in the back of the room. It would be Korean, Japanese, Thai, Indonesian, Malaysian, and so on. So why have a, an Asian management conference when in the break, they can't talk to each other anyway? So, but now the level of in English in Asia has, especially for people working in global companies, international companies have increased so much that now they can have that. So when I spoke at that age, the first ever Asia management conference, it was 5,000 people in Marina Bay Sands. So from a conference that didn't exist to a conference with 5,000 people, because suddenly they decided that these people have to meet. And that happens over and over and over and over. So, and Asia is 60% of the world population. So if you add, if 60% of the world population now also starts to have big conferences in big convention places, like in Phuket and Taiwan and Bangkok and, and all over the place, that's a huge amount of new speaking opportunities opening up. But if you're a global speaker, you, you don't care. Like, mm -hmm. yes, there might be 10, 20, 30, 50,000 speakers, but there's hundreds of thousands of conferences happening in, around the world. So I don't, I have a total abundance mindset when it comes to this. Yeah. Now, when people are trying to get into this global mindset, is there, a, a aside from reading your book <laughs> or maybe some of the tips from the book, how do you get on the radar of some of these conferences that are seemingly so far away and seemingly so distant? Yeah, but that's a mindset. That's 100% mindset again. Let's say you talk for what's the most local conference you can think of? What's the most non-global conference you can think of? Uh, maybe something that happens in LA, like, uh, specifically for Los Angeles County or something like that. All right. But I would, I would go out and say Grand Forks, North Dakota then, because Los Angeles oh, is way more yeah. than Grand Forks. North okay. Dakota. Yes. Gotcha. Okay. I thought you meant my right. area, but yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So let's say we're, you live in Grand Forks, North Dakota. I used to live there when I was in high school. <laughs> That's the... <laughs> It's very close to the central point of North America. So you're very far from the rest of the world when you're in Grand Forks, North Dakota. Okay. So let's say you're invited to speak at, okay, give me also your least global industry. The least global industry. Let's say, I don't know, something within education within the United States, something that's particular to, to U.S. classrooms, I guess. Maybe some sort of, I don't know, standardized testing or, or some sort of associations along those lines. Right. Okay. 
So, okay, so let's, what's that call, that test did you do in the U.S. The, uh, to get into The SAT? Yeah, SAT. Okay, fine. So let's say you're, there's a conference for SAT teachers, and I'm invited to speak about the value of creativity in education for SAT teachers in Grand Forks, North Dakota. Now, how okay. the hell is I'm going to turn that into a global speech? <laughs> so this is how you do it. It's, the, it's six degrees of separation. So the first thing, you, you do that speech, and they love it, because you have to do a great speech, right? You do a great speech. They absolutely love it. The client comes up. That's amazing. And then so I want to introduce you to Deborah. Deborah, she's in charge of the the Midwestern Conference of uh, SAT teachers. And I would, and she, I would love to come for you to come to Minnesota and do this for the, you know, we have people from 25 mid-states here or whatever they call these states. And you, so she books you. Now you do that speech and the woman who runs the American SAT convention happens to be there because she goes to all the regional ones. And she said, this is amazing. We have to have you at the American conference next year. Now they book you for the American conference. And while you speak at the American conference, there's a woman from China there who is there to run a company who teaches Chinese students how to learn uh, SAT. And she says, I have 10,000 Chinese students that I'm bringing to, to a huge stadium and to teach them how to do SAT. But... We need to teach the Chinese people also how to be creative. So can you come and speak about, about creativity for my 5,000 students? So in four speech, four connections away for speaking for 5,000 Chinese students in the stadium after you spoke to 250 teachers in Grand Forks, North Dakota. That happens all the time. But most people don't do that. I use this analogy of like a slipstream. If you're down on one level, you need to think up. You need to go, how do I go up one level? How do I go up one level? And when you go up, up one level, you're there. Now, when you're on the global level, so for where I am now, so when I speak, if I speak for the global, like the future leaders of Earth and Young Asia conference, I just did that like last week. You have 1,200 people from 22 countries in Asia. Of course, the people who are in that group are attending or organizing a lot of other global conferences. So then now I'm up, the people who come up to me after speech already automatically are booking another global conference. But they also book down. They might come and say, hi, I'm, that was amazing. I'm in charge of the national conference in New Zealand. Can you speak just for us? So now I'm speaking just for the New Zealand people at their local Ernst & Young conference. But to me, that's fine. I don't only have to do global conferences. But I always try to move. How do I go up one level? How do I zoom in? Think about it as Google Earth. How do I zoom out one level? P- press that little small minus. Zoom out, zoom out, zoom out, zoom out. Yeah, and when you were describing it, it made me think of a salmon that was just jumping up the different levels, uh, <laughs> you know, up the way. Yeah, Google Earth for salmon jumping. I don't care what metaphor you use. <laughs> <laughs> a salmon with a global mindset, essentially. There you go. <laughs> I like this. Now, what about for those people that have a full-time job, right, and they want to start speaking professionally, and they're trying to juggle that side hustle? Do you have any advice of how to keep the global mentality as a speaker to keep clicking out on the Google Earth, but when you have a full-time job, any thoughts or advice for those that are working up through the side hustle of speaking? Okay, so the most important thing for people starting out is that they need to find what I call their inner theme. So this is actually something that I do. It's, I would say I have a gift actually. Normally I would not say this, but I have a gift of helping people find their inner theme. And their inner theme is what drives you not only as a speaker, but as a human being. So an inner theme is like the message. I call it the universal message, a message that every human being needs to hear. So it's a universal message, but it can only be told by you. You're the best person on earth to spread this message to everyone. 
If you figure out what your inner theme is, you ought, everything else becomes clear. You, know, you get focus, you get clarity, you know what you're supposed to do, you know what you're not supposed to do. And then even if you're just doing one speech per month as a side hustle, you're still on your way to spreading this world to humanity. But a lot of people do, I would say almost all people, including almost all speakers, have no clue what their inner theme is. And that's fascinating to me. They know the topics that they speak on, they know the topics they're interested in, but they don't know their inner theme. Now, do you think that those people are mistaken and they think that they have a theme, but it's really not defined, or they literally just don't have it and they're sort of running around like a chicken with their head cut off? They're too much focused on the uh, topic. Is, is kind of, I use Nike as an example. Inner theme is kind of like the slogan of your life. So Nike, they are in the industry of performance athletic gear or whatever they call it. And they have the values of winning and performing or whatever the values are. And speakers, they know the topics and they know their values, but the inner theme is like a slogan. It's just do it. That's Nike's inner theme. And that has nothing to do with sport performance wear. It's an attitude. It's who they are. And my inner theme is humanity to the power of ideas. Humanity to the power of ideas. So that means I believe in the potential of humanity and I believe in the power of ideas. And that is why did I like the internet so much when I was 25 years old? Because it was a way to connect humanity. And it was a new thing that would change business. Why did I move to China? Because I was tired. I was feeling held back only being a Swedish speaker. I didn't understand it at the time, but that's what it was. Why do I speak in 20, 30 countries every year? And why do I speak in countries like Bangladesh and and, uh, Myanmar? Because I want to understand the whole world, not just the Western world. I want to see developing countries. Why do I speak to all kinds of industries? Because I want to zoom out all the way out on Google Earth until I see the whole planet. And I believe if people learned how to pick up the best ideas, not only and not be held back by cultural, you know, uh, blindfolds, then the world would be a much better place. So every inner theme ends with the world would be a much better place. But in what way are you going to do that? And if you find your inner theme, it becomes so clear what you're supposed to be doing. Hmm. And is that inner theme something that stays pretty consistent or does that somehow morph and mold over time as you do as a person? Or is it pretty much like you find it and that's the same thing that kept you going as a teenager, that kept you going in college and is going to continue keeping you going through retirement? Yeah, so I've done inner theme sessions with someone who's like 27 years old and I've done it with someone who's 65 years old. And it's, it's a very good question. It can change just like a slogan can change. But Nike, if you find a good inner theme that is truly, truly you, and it's very verticile, just like Nike's Let's Do It. Nike, I think, introduced Just Do It in 1988 at the Seoul Olympics. Wow. And that's been now there for, what, 30 years? And they haven't changed it. Coca-Cola changes the slogan maybe every five years because... They went from being a hamburger joint, now they're trying to compete with Starbucks. So they changed, McDonald's is changing. Of course, if they change, then inner theme has to change. Hmm. But it's everything in your life, from when you were a child to your first job, is that common thread. It's kind of, I say, I describe it like this. Every life is a story. Every story has a message. Your inner theme is your life message. Just like Frodo in Lord of the Ring or or Romeo and Juliet or whatever, any character in a famous story, there's a message in that story. If you look at our own lives as a character in a story, then what's the message of that character? And that can be negative things too. It can be sex. You were sexually harassed as a child. That could be part of your inner theme. Most likely it will be part of your inner theme, but it might not, it, it most likely will not be your inner theme, but it's not only positive things. It's everything that has happened to you in your life. What's that one phrase that can describe that? The fact that I'm a twin, 
it means that I'm sharing my ideas with my brother. That's part of humanity to the power of ideas. I'm not just me and my ideas. It's me and my ideas together with other people. Mm. And so those speakers that have a topic, a theme, their own version of three key keynotes, you're still saying they're not going to get where they need to be until they take a step back and find out what that inner theme is in relationship to those topics and in relationship to a global mentality. Yes. So sometimes the inner theme can be the topic they speak on. Sometimes it's not even close. So sometimes it's just for you and no one else to know. Hmm. In my case, I tell people what my inner theme is, but I, I don't have a... Uh, like my new book is called The World of Creativity. It's not called Humanity to the Power of Ideas because I ha- that's too complicated. I have to explain it to people what it means. And that's not a good title for a book if you have to explain it. But it means a lot to me. It's exactly who I am. And then the topics I speak on are all connected. Even if I speak to 200 mobile telecom salespeople from Malaysia and I go, what the hell am I doing talking to this? What am I doing? And I go, well, if Malaysia becomes a little bit more creative in how they use mobile services, that will make Malaysia better and that will make the world better. Now I know I am standing and speaking at this sales conference in a small hotel outside Kuala Lumpur. Mm. So it, it helps to create that relevance and it helps to create that the value beyond just the value of being there. You're not as much judging the audience size or the opportunity as much as you're judging its alignment with this inner theme. Yes, exactly. For example, why am I sitting with you? This is a Tuesday, but it's actually a school holiday. So all my my wife and my kids are already in the swimming pool (laughs) and I'm going to meet with them one hour later. Why do I spend school holiday being interviewed by uh, some podcast about speaking? Right. Because for my, my inner theme is humanity to the power of ideas. And why do I give away my book about how to be a global keynote speaker? Why do I blog on professionalspeaking.com? Why do I give away all my tips on how to become a global speaker to other people? Why am I building my competition for global speakers? Because if I can help a thousand speakers to find their inner theme and also help them to spread that message globally, that is the perfect example of humanity to the power of ideas because I can spread the message of sexual abuse. I can spread the message of Uh, peaceful conversations or whatever the theme of you might be, that's your topic. You should spread it to the world. But by helping you do that, that becomes part of my inner theme. And for most people, that's not part of the inner theme. And that's why they are not doing it. But for me, it is. I want to help a lot of speakers find their true message and spread it to humanity. Their message, not my message. And you've come to the right place. So I appreciate your invested time here today. Because, you know, typically we'll talk about tips for speaking that are more on the the tactical side of how you're delivering or how you're opening or how you're closing or how you're preparing. And you're saying, zoom out and look at the mentality. Are you looking at something through the lens of a global eyeglass? Are you looking at the small opportunity as three or four or five degrees away from somewhere else? And if you're not looking for it, if you don't have that mentality, who cares what your speech is because you're just not going to continue to progress on that global scale. It's kind of like saying, if you want to climb Mount Everest and say, show me all the tools I need to climb Mount Everest. And I can show you every single tool that you need to climb Mount Everest. But if you don't have the mindset of wanting to climb Mount Everest, you're not going to climb Mount Everest, no matter how much I teach you how to use those tools. Now, that doesn't mean you don't need to use the tools. So, for example, I mean, my the blog I have, professionalspeaking.com, Every week I write one thing I learned about speaking and it could be how to do an opening or it could be how to talk to clients after the speech is, is, you know, the golden minute, the one minute after your speech is done. What are you supposed to say at that one minute? Who are you supposed to talk to? Every tiny bit. It's like hundreds of articles. They're all free. I'm not selling anything. It's just those are the tools. Here you go. Use all these things. 
But if you don't have the mindset, none of that's going to work. None of that's going to make any difference. And it's the same with this podcast as well. You can have you, all the other ones might speak about the tools they need, but someone needs to talk about changing your mindset. And I have to say though, but because I know we're almost at the end, a lot of people say, okay, but I don't want to be a global speaker. I, I have small kids. I have three kids. They're three, f- five, and soon eight. And I spend more time with my kids than someone who works nine to five and never travels and has five weeks of vacation. I have hundreds and hundreds of hours more than that person. I've counted. I have an Excel sheet to prove it. So today is a Tuesday. And after I'm done with you, the rest of the day, I'm going to spend with my kids in the swimming pool. And I did that yesterday too. So I spent two months every summer, two full months on a private island that, that we own in Sweden, where I don't literally don't leave the island unless we're buying food. So for two months in a row, I'm with my kids every single day for two months on an island in, in the summer. And that's where I accumulate a lot of hours. And I do that also one full month around Christmas and so on. I don't do a lot of speeches, but I do them around the world. I think last year I did 44 keynote speeches, but I did them in 22 countries. Wow. So you can have it all. That's what I'm saying. You can, you can be a global keynote speaker and a great father and husband at the same time. If you focus on doing great keynote speeches and only do that. I love it. And sometimes we just need to hear that. So for everyone out there who is on the fence or who is defeating themselves before they even get to the starting line, because all those voices in your head are saying you can't, <laughs> Frederick is saying that you can. And I believe him and we can't make them believe it but it's really up to them. And uh, I think it's amazing what you're doing because at the end of the day, you're helping people become creative through a larger lens. And I'm assuming that this idea of tactics and tools also goes with creativity. You can tell us 101 things to be creative, but unless you sit down and actually start thinking, nothing's going to happen. It's been a pleasure to talk with you. I'm definitely going to grab your book and I'll monitor your, your blog and I'll share accordingly. Because I also believe in abundance and I think that speaking can be a very, very sharp tool when it comes to spreading the message and essentially getting other people empowered with your knowledge that nobody else is going to tell except for you. I totally agree. It's been a pleasure. All right, buddy. Well, thanks so much. And where where would someone contact you? If there was one person or a hundred or a thousand, like I want to get in touch with Frederick, what's the best way? Are you a LinkedIn guy? Are you a Twitter guy? Are you an email guy? How can we direct people so that you can create more of these seven degree connections? Yeah. So I guess I'm a, I guess I'm an email kind of a guy. So, <laughs> all right. so it's Frederick at uh, frederickharron.com, but people spell my name wrong all the time. So you might also want to try anything at interesting.org. Just put anything in front of the at sign and then at interesting.org, it comes to me. And the websites are innocene.com and professionalspeaking.com. I like that. This is the first time I've had somebody with an email address that literally is anything before the at symbol. And it only makes sense that that URL. Everyone should have that. Everyone should have that. Because if you spell my name wrong, like Frederick with a CK at interesting.org, it still comes to me. You can write world of speakers at interesting. You can write gin and tonic at interesting. Everything comes to me. (laughs) I'm sure you get some interesting ones. I love that. And that is, it is what it sounds. It is interesting.com. So interesting.org, O-R-G. See, you might have to gobble up that other domain and every other domain, but that's for another century. I tried. <laughs> I bought interesting.org in 1998. Interesting.com was already taken by that time. All right. Well, interesting.org. But professional.com is a good one. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Hey, Frederick, this has been fun. And definitely I have 
a global mindset and it's only going to get sharper after this. And I'm probably going to listen to this again if I have any questions about it. So thanks again, all of you world speakers out there. What a great episode for you to change your mindset. That's a simple thing to do, but it's actually very difficult. If you like this, like it, share it, comment it, say hi to Frederick. Really make sure that you're subscribing for more of these episodes. Check out the past ones. Check them out for the future because together we're helping everyone that is the world of speakers. Frederick, this has been totally fun. I'm jealous. I'm going to go to bed. You're going to be in the pool all day, but that is awesome. You deserve it, sir. Thank you. All right. Adios. Adios.